And this brings us to this morning's text, which I'm calling A Tale of Two Resurrections. It has nothing to do with the book Tale of Two Cities. And I hope to pique your interest and give you a new perspective on the resurrection of Jesus Christ than perhaps you've had before. And perhaps you have not had um, the same perspective that I'm sharing with you this morning, but I'd like you to adopt it, or at least consider it. Most people, whether they are Christians or call themselves Christians or not, know about Jesus' resurrection. It's why you guys are here. Because you know about Jesus' resurrection. You're here to celebrate on Easter, whether a Christian or not a Christian, with the body of Christ. But I'm guessing some of you may have missed or not really thought about some of the colorful parts of this story of Jesus' resurrection. Some of these interesting details. You know, this weird stuff that we can't quite explain fully. So I'm going to read from Matthew 27, 50 to 54 as our text today. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice on the cross, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. That's interesting. Verse 51. When Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life and appeared to many people on Easter morning. So this is a really interesting and puzzling piece of Bible trivia, right? What on earth are we supposed to be thinking when we read this section of Scripture? Did these dead bodies wake up at Jesus' death, which is when it says they resurrected, and then just hang out until Easter morning in their tombs to then come out and share the good news, to go into the city? What did they do when they woke up? Were they just sitting there? Um, then what did they do afterwards? Exactly, I know. <laughs> what happened to them when they were done proclaiming Jesus' victory? Did they just climb back into their tombs? What is going on here? It's a wild piece of color in this story. What are we supposed to make of this strange story of many dead holy people coming to life at the moment of Jesus' death? Well, I hate to disappoint you, but I do not know exactly. And people have lots of different thoughts about this. I cannot, but I cannot fully explain what this is about. But I will tell you, after reading this story about the resurrection of many people, many holy people following Jesus' death before his resurrection, I think that we are supposed to be left with this idea that something really significant happened when Jesus died. When Jesus died, something really significant happened. And... We're left with this idea that from now on, since Jesus died, we never know the things that God's resurrection power can and will do in our lives or in the lives of other people. It just broke out from his death. In short, we can quote in another Bible verse, we see that nothing is impossible with God. Uh, that resurrection power can break out since Jesus' death, and do surprising things in and around us and in the people we know. See, I think about Easter as a very much a present tense holiday. I do think we are remembering what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, 
But the resurrection of Jesus Christ has implications for us today. His resurrection power breaks out in our lives, leading us to salvation. His kindness leads us to repentance. His resurrection power breaks out when we pray for people who are sick and they are touched or healed. We have stories of that in the last year. Um, when, when people are looking for deliverance, his resurrection power can break the power of sin and death in people. So since Jesus died, there's resurrection power, which is a lot of power. Dead bodies coming to life for anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. If God could raise Jesus to life with resurrection power after three days in the grave, if God could even more, uh, more amazingly, resurrect the bodies of many who had been long dead and bring their bodies back together at the time that Jesus died, then we really can't say, we really can't say with certainty uh, how this power is going to be released in our lives, in the lives of the people around us. But it will be life-giving. There will be resurrection power that flows through us. So if you think about the, the darkest, deadest, dead part of our life, our lives, or, or our, the darkness in our world, about our broken health, our broken finances, our broken relationships, our broken hearts, and our deepest struggles, and the things that we have kind of resigned ourselves to, that these are not going to change. These are going to stay the same. I'm going to change, I'm going to keep being this way because that's how I was raised. That's how my parents were, and that's how I'm going to be. I'm not going to break free of this. I think that if God can resurrect Jesus and a bunch of other people along the way, we really cannot say, uh, we really cannot predict what God's resurrection power can do in us or around us. And the phrase, well, that was unexpected, can become a phrase that you say over your own life and in the lives of your fellow Christians who are following Jesus. Um, God breaks power of sin and death in the present tense. Now, Easter is not a past tense, but a present tense reality that we live into. So I think from now on, after reading that passage, which is very unexpected, of dead people coming to life, we should expect Jesus to do the unexpected and even the improbable in our lives and the lives of other people through simple faith. We're going to read on in Matthew 28, 1 to 10. We'll get to the actual resurrection of Christ. That was the, the first resurrection was, of course, these people that died a long time ago. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me.
So upon Jesus' death, many godly people came back to life and were resurrected. So what now, when Jesus is resurrected, after three days in the grave, what happens when Jesus is resurrected? Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So not only have we been told to expect the unexpected in terms of Jesus' resurrection power, we've now been invited into the actual work of Jesus Christ. It's the same work that he was doing when he walked on the earth. And he was ministering to people. It really couldn't be more clear. Jesus' work, this is not a past tense event. Jesus' work is ongoing in the world. It's continuing onward. And Jesus' Jesus's work and mission Matthew 28 says, is his desire is to do that work through his people, the church. Through his people, the church. Just to be completely clear, there, there was a phase one and a phase two of Jesus' mission. Phase one was a mission that only Jesus could accomplish. Only Jesus could accomplish. Jesus is a pure Passover lamb whose shed blood on the cross has provided a covering for our sins. That's what atonement means, a covering for our sins. I, Nathan Detweiler, could not die and shed my blood and cover your sins. It just, there's no way I could. If you think I'm a good person, that is, which I'm not necessarily. <laughs> um, even the most holy person who lived or is venerated as, as someone that was very godly or had a close relationship with God, they can't shed their blood to pay for your sins. There's only one person that could die, give his life as a ransom for sin. And that was Jesus Christ. So that was phase one. Not even a righteous person could save us, but Jesus' ultimate mission was to offer his life so that we could be in relationship with God. That's why at the end of his life, as we saw on Good Friday... He said when he died on the cross, it is finished. Phase one is complete. I'm offering salvation to anyone who looks to me. Only Jesus could complete that mission because only Jesus was completely perfect and righteous before God. Only Jesus was the pure spotless lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Only Jesus. So this morning, if you do not know him, then you do not know his resurrection power he offers it freely to anyone by his shed blood on the cross to bring to life what is dead to make us a new creation in Christ where the old is gone and the new has come where we don't have to fall into the old routines and sinful habits of how we were raised or how or the things that happened to us but we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds and our bodies in Christ and have his resurrection power flow through us anyone who turns to Jesus it says is saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. For goodness sakes, Jesus forgave the criminal that was crucified next to him just when he asked, Jesus, remember me. And, he, and Jesus forgave this man before he had a chance to turn his life around, before he had a chance to make something better of himself. And he was dying on the cross. And Jesus forgave him. 
because the finished work of Christ was that powerful. And it might surprise you to think that that's possible, but really, Jesus says, anyone who will come to me, I will not turn away. He who stands at the door and knocks, I open the door. Um, my, my sacrifice was once for all. He eliminates classes. He eliminates one Christian saying, I'm really, I'm really great, look at me, and another Christian cowering in shame. He levels the playing field for all people because we are only here because of the righteousness of Jesus, his blood shed on our lives. Uh, so it results in, when people really receive that, it results in a great humility and it results in us taking that love, that forgiveness, that grace that we've been given by Jesus and giving that to other people. But only Jesus could complete phase one because only Jesus was completely righteous before God. In 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. One time, Jesus had to suffer and die one time, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And he was put to death in the body and then raised to life in the Spirit. Once for all. It's amazing to think that the sins of, and the brokenness of every preceding generation of his own day, and then every generation that would come, all of that was placed on Jesus' shoulders at the cross. And he took that away from us. And, and he, um, he said, I'm remembering this no more. Now, after Jesus' resurrection, the second resurrection story we read about in today's passage, there's a, there's a real shocker. There is a phase two to Jesus' ministry, his work in his ministry. So Jesus, the Lord, our God, the creator of heaven and earth, has now invited us to join him in his ministry and shared with us his power and authority to minister before him. It couldn't be more clear than what he says in Matthew 28, the last chapter of the, of the book of Matthew. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This morning, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that Jesus does not want you to go home after Easter service, left with this idea that when you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, there's now nothing left to do. Yes, our work of salvation was completed on the cross. But just a couple sentences later, God invites us to do the work that he, that he did. And it's, uh, it's quite a, rem a remarkable thing. It's a way more interesting topic at Easter lunch, I think. Jesus doesn't want us to think that when we accept Christ's forgiveness that we're, there's nothing to do. Salvation is a gift of God through faith, but receiving this gift through Jesus is only the beginning. If God wanted you to look at the resurrection of the many holy people, at Jesus' death as a sign 
Um, if he, that we never know the things that God's life-giving resurrection power can do. God wants you to think about Jesus' resurrection as a new beginning altogether. Jesus wants his resurrection to become for you the phase two of his ministry. And as you come to Jesus and receive his great commission over your life, which is what Matthew 28 is called, and trust in him, he wants you to continue ministering before him through his very resurrection power. Jesus completed phase one, now we're into phase two. All authority in heaven and earth was given to Jesus. He proclaimed his victory on the cross to the depths of the earth, to the highest of heavens. That's what Jesus did. And now phase two, where he says, all authority has been given to me, now you go. Now you go. And what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to baptize. We mean to share, share, share the faith with people. The amazing love that God has for them. And baptize them into the family of God so that even if their own family forsakes you, the church will never forsake you. The family of God is what the church is called. To be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To teach people to obey everything God command, Jesus commanded. And then the promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because of God's resurrection power, we can expect the unexpected. And we can join in Jesus' ministry with confidence. We don't know what we're doing as we minister to people. But Jesus is with us to the very end of the age. And we can minister in Jesus' name and confidence because he is, he is desired and pleased to work through us as his hands and feet. So when we pray for someone who's sick, we lay hands on them as a proxy for Jesus. Because that's what Jesus would have done. He would have lovingly touched a person and, and loved them in that way. When someone is bound up in financial difficulty, we, we, we do what Jesus would do. We try to counsel them, try to help them. Now, we try to continue the ministry that Jesus would do in our own lives. So we can pray in Jesus' in Jesus's name and with Jesus' authority over many different things and see God's great provisions, and share the good news of God's gift with humanity. And we can expect this good news to bring about some shocking results um, in our lives and in the lives of those who hear the message to whom God has revealed himself. You know, we can expect that someone turning to Christ for forgiveness of their sins, that they, they, are, they are forgiven, and then they are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they are empowered to live a different kind of life, to be a new creation in Christ. We expect this to happen because Jesus' resurrection power accomplishes this. Jesus is teaching us to be his co-laborer in phase two of his ministry in our world. He wants Easter to be the first step. Receive the gift. And then he wants us to jump in and start the work. To be a co it's amazing, a co-laborer with Christ. His words, not mine. He's given all authority and in, in everywhere, and now he's lending us his authority that we might make disciples with him in cooperation with Jesus. And we don't even know, need to know exactly how to accomplish all this stuff because Jesus is with us to the end of the age. We can pray and seek him and get great wisdom and, and seek his word and seek 
fellowship with other Christians that can help us. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 9, Paul is talking about the different teachers that have worked with the church. So he says, I planted the seed, sure. I, Paul, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Surprising resurrection power. That's what God does. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. I, th- I would add to that, God's body, the body of Christ. That's when, when people say this term, the body of Christ, we're not talking about an institution of the church. We're talking about the hands and feet of Jesus expressed through a multitude of Christians who are following God. Amazing to be called a co-laborer with Christ. Jesus was the only one that could complete the mission that God gave him of making atonement for our sins. The only one. He did it once for all. And he invites everyone who has not yet received that gift to pray to him and receive salvation. But he saves us for a purpose. And Jesus saves us so that we can join Well, he saves us because of his great love for us and because of his great love for other people, he invites us to join as co-laborers with him in continuing the ministry he did on the earth to one another and to the world. Easter is supposed to be the first step. It's It's amazing things. It's the finished work of Christ on the cross, which is the first step to continuing the work of Christ, right? It's a really amazing thing. So I would invite you this morning, you know, if you feel... If you have not received the salvation through Jesus, what he did in his first phase, phase of his ministry on the cross, that's, that's the first step. But step two is for people that have already turned to Jesus and already know him. And this is a time to think about Romans eight eleven. It says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, God's resurrection power is to this day breaking out in the lives of people who turn their lives over to God. And the problem is that the same spirit that raised Christ to life, a dead man to life, lives in every believer. And we are, we're asked to expect the unexpected, to accept the unusual work of God, to not look at, uh, at a road as being a dead end, but say, you know, I can change. I can do things differently than people have done before me. I can do things differently than I've done them in the past. No matter how strong your inclination is, the Holy Spirit can bring a resurrection power to these places where you feel like you just can't budge, you just can't move beyond um, yourself. So I invite you this morning to receive the salvation and then receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and see how God's resurrection breaks out in your life.